0: Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. All right, so Colossians chapter 2 I'm amazed at the Lord because, Alicia, we didn't—we don't talk about my messages, do we? I mean, sometimes, but rarely. We certainly didn't talk about this one. And you read my scripture this morning. I mean, I was like, good grief. She is just nailing it. Uh, so we'll be in 1 John in a minute. So we're going to read that. But uh, Colossians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 6. So then, just as you've received... Christ, Jesus, as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self or your old self ruled by the flesh... So when it talks about circumcision here, it's talking about a circumcision of the heart. And that's what salvation is. Salvation is a circumcision spiritually of your heart. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your old self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. Talking about water baptism. In which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And we'll end with verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. (laughs) Aren't you proud of salvation? That God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave some of our sins. How many sins did he forgive? He forgave us of all of our sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift, the gift of the circumcision of our hearts, which is called salvation. And thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Father, speak today. Let it be you and not me. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So today I want to preach a message as we prepare for water baptism called assurance. Five reasons why people doubt their salvation. I want you to notice in verse 7, the scripture puts an incredible amount of weight on being rooted and built. Anything that has roots and is built is going to have a period of time necessary for the roots to grow is that right so there's a period of time that happens for these roots to grow and to go deep and to build structure rooted and built one speaks of an invisible process that goes downward that would be roots one would be a visible process that goes up that would be built if you're going to have a growing faith, you have to have roots that go deep and allow yourself to be built up. You can't have one without the other. If you're going to have, a, have long-term, satisfied, productive, and fruitful faith, you will need both roots and building. Everybody say roots, roots. and building. So today I want to give you five reasons why people doubt their salvation, and I'm putting it under the heading of assurance. I thought I had a nice slide. I don't know where that is. (laughs) There we go. So I want to put it under this heading of assurance. Five reasons why people um, doubt their salvation or lack assurance. Here's the first one. Number one, people often lack assurance because they still struggle with their old lifestyle in certain sins. For all of those taken notes, let me repeat that. People often lack assurance, number one, because they still struggle with their old life our old lifestyle and certain sins. So now I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 1 where Alicia was a few moments ago and I want us to look at this passage of scripture here found in 1 John 1 and I want to read from the King James Version if, when you get there, say amen. 1 John chapter 1 We'll start in verse 5, and media team, just stay with me because I may pause and go some other places and then come back to that, so be ready. Starting here in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. How many of you know darkness and light don't, don't cohabit together, right? Okay. Okay. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have no fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. It says here, we are not practicing the truth. Verse 7, but if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all sin. Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Now, Paul's right there. This is the Apostle John, and he's not writing to people who are necessarily lost, uh, people who are godless. He is writing this letter to Christians. Verse 8 says, If we, who is we? Christians. Everybody say Christians. Christians should not sin, but sometimes Christians do sin is that right christians should not sin but sometimes christians do sin now i want you to write this down and i'm going to take you to another passage of scripture here in just a moment but i want you to write this down it's one thing to sin it's another thing to live in a lifestyle of sin okay let me say that again because I think this, this will help a lot of folks because I see a lot of questions on social media and people getting things out of context a lot. And, and you know, they talk about Christians. Well, we all have sin and, you know, they all talk about that kind of stuff. So, so let's make sure we're, we're understanding right because this is good pastoral teaching. It's one thing to sin. It's another thing to live a lifestyle of sin. Okay, do you see the difference? Okay. I sin at times, and so do you. Now, notice what I said. I sin at times. Now, I'm not trying to be prideful or arrogant in any, any capacity, but I've been serving Jesus for 40 years. That's a long time. I have fervently served the Lord for 40 years. So what that means is I've grown a lot, and I've went through what is called the sanctification process. Do I sin? Sometimes. Do I sin all the time? No. Do I sin every day? No. Well, what about your thought life? Well, if you keep your thought life pure and you put the right things in, you'll get the right things out. Okay? But does that mean I never sin? No. I I do sin sometimes. I don't know if I sin every day. Why? Because there's a growth process that happens in believers. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Okay. So, I sin at times, but I don't live a lifestyle of sin. Does that make sense to anybody? I am not living an active lifestyle of habitual sin in my life. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if we could turn there. And I want to read what the Apostle Paul says here, and I just just want to point some things out here. 1 Corinthians 5. If you, when you get there, say amen so I'll know. 1 Corinthians 5. And I want to start reading in verse 9. This is Paul. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, he says... You would have to leave this world. In other words, we're in this world. The Bible says that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. So there's no way we can live in this world and not live among immoral, greedy, swindlers, idolaters, and all of those things. That's just, we live in a sinful world. But he said, now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims, watch the wording, claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral Greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. That's strong. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Now watch what Paul says here. Are you not to judge those inside the church? That's what he's talking about. God will judge those outside the church, but he says inside the church, expel wicked people from among you. What Paul is saying here is, he's saying anyone who claims to be a brother or sister in Christ, but is living an immoral lifestyle, in other words, is in a lifestyle of sin, he's saying here, and and this is some of the wording here, he's what he's saying is brothers and sisters who are pretending. So we're not judging the laws that just come in the church. I'll talk about that in a minute. But the ones, notice, and notice the words. He said judging. Don't judge me. <laughs> you ever heard that? Paul said here to judge those inside the church. And he says the ones that are pretending. How many of you know a new believer is not pretending? They don't know any better. They make no bones about it. They're living in sin. Is that right? Their spiritual muscles haven't developed yet. But when they get some muscles and they start growing in their faith, then they're able to resist sin, or at least that's what's supposed to happen. Okay? This is good. For some, you're not living in victory over sin. Sin is living in victory over you. The more you grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Bible and faith in Christ, the more victorious you should live over sin. The Bible says in Luke 12, verse 48, Luke 12, verse 48, it says, who much is given, much is required, who much is given, much is required. But for a new believer, the expectation is different because they don't have much. Does that make sense? So, I was talking about me a minute ago. I've been serving the Lord for 40 years. There's a lot required of me because I know better. I've lived in the faith a long time. So, I should be growing. I I should be able to say, I don't know if I'm sinning every day. I do sin, but I don't know that I sin every day because why? I'm living a, a lifestyle of following Christ. Does that make sense? And so that means the expectation for me is a little different than someone who just walks in the door who gets saved for the first time. Is anybody tracking with me? Okay. The expectation for a toddler and a 50-year-old are two different things. Amen. I I have a toddler. I have a grandson in my life. The expectation there is different. Why? Because he is young and he is still learning. Adults learn, they mature, they develop skill sets, and they, they have life experience. Same with Christians. When we first get saved, we call them babies in Christ. When you first get saved, you're just learning, man. You're just starting to figure all of this out. You're still developing. You're still developing uh, life experience as a believer that you don't have, that I have. You don't have yet, but I have that. And same for others in this room. God has the same standards for everybody, but I believe according to Scripture, his requirement for those of us that know better or have much is different. Some failures are out of ignorance. We just don't know any better. Okay? You ever heard the saying, you only know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know? Right? Right? And so there's a lot of baby Christians, and this is something that we have to learn here at One Community because we're seeing a demographic of all kinds of people in faith. Like new believers, we're seeing seasoned believers, we're seeing people from every, walks, uh, every walk of life come into this church. And so the expectation for some is different. And we're going to have people come into this church that are living in a lifestyle of sin, and they come and they give their life to Jesus and what I want you to know is, according to what we read a moment ago with Paul, the expectation there is different. Now, if they're a brother and sister who know better, that's a different story. And I've had people, listen, I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm sharing my heart with you. I've had people outside of this church say things about this church, and you know what they say? They welcome people in their church. Well, you dadgum right we do. Amen? They welcome sinners in their church. The audacity. Can y'all believe we welcome sinners in one community church? See, they don't know any better. They're coming here for the first time. They're learning. They're growing. We're not to judge them. They don't know. But I hear seasoned believers looking down their noses. You know, they were, they don't know any better. Now, if it's you, I'm going to confront you about your gossiping. Because you know better. Amen. So, so who are you to be talking about somebody that don't have a clue? They just walked in the door and they gave their life to Jesus. Who are we to be talking about them? Okay. Okay. So let's go back to 1 John, chapter 1. Let's start in verse 8. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Verse 10. If we claim we haven't sinned, we are calling God a liar. Believers have the potential to sin even after they've experienced a genuine salvation and a clear conversion we have the potential even after salvation to sin is that right man i hope so because the scripture says we all have sinned is that right it says and he says you know you're a liar if you say you have no sin now as paul said so let me clarify paul said we don't use the grace of god as a license to sin absolutely not The standard of God is perfection. He said, be holy even as I am holy. Is that what he said? So the standard of God is holiness. Doesn't matter if you've been saved for 10 minutes, 10 years, or 10 decades. The standard is the same. The bullseye is holiness. It's perfection. Now, can we obtain that in a flesh suit in a human body, this side of heaven? Probably not. It doesn't mean that we're not striving for it. It doesn't mean the bullseye has, has changed, but in a human body, we miss the mark. One day, we will have a glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15, we talk about it. I talk about it at every graveside that I stand at. In 1 Corinthians 15, one day, this mortal will put on immortality. Amen, church. So... This side of heaven, probably not. But that doesn't mean the mark or the goal is not perfection. Again, the longer you do this, the more like him you are supposed to be. The more Christ-like you are supposed to be, the longer you live this life and you grow and you develop and you're discipled. Amen. An expectation from God, and this is God's expectation, so listen to me. God's expectation for every believer is for you to grow and to develop. Amen. A habit that we need to develop is repentance and confession of sin to God. I ought to hear an amen. Now, this is good. You cannot serve God faithfully and fervently... And continue to practice the sins of your old life. You just can't do it. It just doesn't coexist together. Okay, now that doesn't mean you don't. That doesn't mean you you don't fall short. But that means you cannot live in a habitual lifestyle of sin and live for God at the same time. We should no longer have a desire just to please ourselves, but we should have a desire to please God. So when we get saved, and I'm going to talk about my experience in a moment. When we get saved, there should be something on the inside of us that makes us want to please God. Okay? It's not about, when when I sin, does it affect me? Yes. But it's not about hurting me. When I sin, for me, it's about hurting God. I don't want to hurt Him. I don't want to disappoint Him. Does that make sense? Back in my young adult life, I I used to sing a lot, and I sung a song, and, and the illustration of this song is so powerful. But the song says, Does he still feel the nails every time I fell? Does he hear the crowd cry crucified again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change because I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. Do y'all see that? I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to disappoint him. Am I hurting myself when I sin? Absolutely. But you know what bothers me more when I mess up and when I sin is I hurt God. That hurts. And I don't want to disappoint him. And so, what I'm saying is, when you're genuinely saved, there will be something in you that will say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And if there's not something that goes, oh, something is wrong. And we need to reevaluate somewhere. Does that make sense? Here's point number two. People often lack assurance because they have questions about when they received Christ. Question today, can you tell me a time you repented of sin and received Jesus Christ as Lord? For many, they will go back to an actual date or a time or a certain age. For me, I was eight years old. My parents had just moved into, they had just built a new home, and my mom still lives there to this day, and the home was brand new. And we had not lived there long and I was, we were in the living room one night and I had a lot of questions. And so my parents talked to me about receiving Christ and said, Jason, do you want to see, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes. And so we knelt at their couch there in their living room and I remember it vividly. I remember the sights, the sounds. I remember the, even the smell. And the reason I remember the smell is because the couch was brand new. And to this day, when I walk into a furniture store, when I open the doors of a furniture store, and I walk in, I love going to furniture stores. I was raised in one, I think. My mom went to them all the time. <laughs> Took us six years to find her dining room table, I think. So, But every time I walked into every time I walk into a furniture store and I open Alicia probably has never noticed me doing this but I'll walk if if I ever go I don't go often but when I walk into one and I open the doors I go because it takes me back to that moment that I gave my life to Jesus I smell that new furniture and my parents that night in that living room led me to Jesus and led me in the sinner's prayer and I've never been the same I stood up from that prayer, and when I stood up for that prayer, I can honestly say, I felt different. I was an eight-year-old kid, but I felt different. There was something that had changed in me. If you don't have a memory like that, guess what? You can have it today. The Bible says, now faith is, or another way to say that is faith is right now. According to the Bible, when do you get saved? Right when the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart and he's tugging at you. That is the moment that you're supposed to give your life to Jesus. Faith is always a now decision. Don't put it off. Can I hear an amen? amen? My dad at 28 years old told God, I will serve you one day. Being a Christian is for old people. He was 28. He said, I'll serve you after I buy all this stuff. And he was making all kinds of money and doing all these things. And he said, if I can you know, make all this money, buy all this land, do all this stuff I want to do and go on these vacations, buy these ski boats and jet skis and do all these things he wanted to do. He said, God, I'll serve you one day when I get old. Five to 10 minutes later, he was dying without God in an accident. My dad gave his life to Jesus, as I'm sure you can figure out. And because of that decision, you and I are standing or you're sitting and I'm standing in this room today. We would not be in this room today if my dad had not made that decision. You will always struggle in your salvation if you don't have a foundational moment of when you gave your heart and life to Jesus. Here's a good illustration. I may not always feel married, but I am married. And my wife said, amen. I don't think that came out quite like I wanted it to. <laughs> Anybody doing marriage counseling this afternoon? Okay. <laughs> but I can take you to the moment, honey. I can take you to the moment that I made a covenant with that lady and with God. I can take you to the time. I can take you to the date. I can take you to inside that room. I can take you to who was in that room. And most of all, I can take you to her beautiful face and that beautiful dress that she was wearing and to the words of our pastor who spoke over us, prayed over us, and I remember that moment vividly. And nobody can ever take that moment from me. So my question is, do you have a moment like that? Do you have a moment where you gave your heart and life to Jesus? Maybe you're watching online. Do you have a moment that you can take me to where you gave your life to Jesus? Do you remember that? Again, if you don't have a moment with your salvation and accepting Jesus as Savior, we can do that today before this service is over and before we close. Just because your mom is a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because your dad is a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because your grandparents are Christians doesn't mean you're a Christian. Every single person must receive Jesus Christ and repent of sin as an individual. Question, can you take me to that moment? You say, well, and I've had people say this over the years, what kind of decision could an eight-year-old kid make, one that's lasted 40 years? 40 years. I can honestly say, and again, I'm not trying to, to brag or anything, but I can honestly say I've never walked away from my faith in 40 years. Now, have I thought about it? Yeah. Has it been hard? Yes. Have I wanted to run? Absolutely. But I made a commitment when I was eight years old that has lasted me a lifetime. Why? Because salvation is a spiritual thing that takes place inside of you that is eternal, and it's beyond you, and it's beyond where you're at, and it's beyond our own understanding. I want to take this a step further. Mark eight thirty-eight. Jesus said something very important. He said, if you're not ashamed of me before men, I will not be ashamed of you before, of you before my Father and his angels. So I want to say this. Salvation happens privately, but it doesn't stay private. Salvation is a private thing between you and God, but it doesn't stay private. My dad told me as soon as I stood up that night in their living room, stood up from that couch and had given my life to Jesus, my dad looked at me and he said, now son, you need to make a public statement of your faith. What does that mean and what does that look like? Well, it happens in two ways. Number one, by responding to an altar call like I will give you in just a moment and making a public declaration of your faith. Was I saved when I stood up from that couch? Absolutely. If I would have died right then, I would have gone to heaven. But still, I needed to take another step of faith, and I needed to make my salvation public. Does that make sense? Where I answered an altar call that my dad gave in a church service like today, and I stood up, and I walked the aisle, and I walked to the front of the building, and I made my faith public. The second way it happens is water baptism. And next weekend, we'll do that. And it's where you stand in front of a congregation of believers like this, and you are buried with Christ, and you're raised to new life. Can I hear a big amen? And next weekend, we look forward to that, don't we? Amen. So, do you have a clear memory of when you repented of sin and made the Lord the Lord of your life? In a moment, we can do that. And if you do that in a moment, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to take a pen, and I want you to write down the date and the time, November the 19th, 2023. And when you do that, in your Bible, you're making it a spiritual birth certificate. It is your new spiritual birth certificate. That's why we call it being born again, because you're no longer who you used to be. You are born into a new family. Can I hear an amen? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Number three, people often lack assurance because they have questions about how they received Jesus. In other words, they doubt if it was authentic. They are confused about uh, how they did it. Did I do it right? All of these things. Should I have been in a church? Should I have not been in that church? Or whatever the case may be, and they have all of these questions. The reason we doubt or have questions is because of all of the methodology that is out there in church today. But here's what I want you to know, and it's really this simple. Romans 10, 9 and 10. This is the first step. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. And again, this happens privately between you and the Lord in your heart, but it shouldn't stay that way. And the other reason it won't stay that way is because if you're genuinely saved, other people are going to start to notice immediately. They're going to go during the week when you're at work or you're at school or wherever you are, they're going to go, something is different about you. Amen. Here's the fourth one. People often lack assurance because they don't know what being a Christian looks like. And the reason they don't know is because of misinformation and misunderstanding. And to add to that, Christians who don't act like Christians, they confuse new believers. New believers have nothing to base it off of. All they know is what they see and what they hear. And so they're basing it off of you because they think you are a seasoned believer, so they're modeling their life after you. And so if they see you cussing and spitting and throwing a fit, they're going to go, oh, I can do that too. I know how to do that. Amen. When this happens, it gives birth to questions. And questions give birth to doubts. And doubts give birth to the lack of assurance. Being a Christian is about the sincerity and the authenticity of your heart. When you first pray that prayer of salvation for the first time, never lose that authenticity and that sincerity. Never lose that. When you were moved to make that decision of salvation, who moved you to make that decision? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you. I call him your alarm. He will be that alarm system inside of you that says, wait a minute, I need to quit talking. I need to shut up. I don't need to do that. Can I hear an amen? Amen. He's that alarm inside of you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. Being a Christian looks like following the voice of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And to save time, come next week when I give you seven things every new believer needs to know. I'm going to bring to light some things that maybe you've never heard of next weekend. Here's the last one. Are you all ready to close? Here's the fifth one. People often lack assurance of their salvation. Because no one has explained what that even looks like. What does it look like to be saved? And how does that process happen? Well, let me give you some pointers. Here's number one. If you're genuinely saved, four things will happen. Four things. If you're saved, first of all, to be saved, you have to hear the truth of the gospel. And that's why the Bible says it's through the foolishness of preaching that people come to repentance. And come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. What I'm doing today, it seems foolish to stand here and to preach and and to minister. But it's through that foolishness that people are saved. Can I hear an amen? amen? So number one, you have to hear the truth of the gospel. That's how you're saved. But then you want to hear the truth of the gospel continually. You need to be in church. You need to be in a place where you can grow and be discipled. And all of these church haters out there online who always have to say something about the church. I would say to you, watch their life and look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of their life. and They'll they'll show you themselves they need church. Why? Church is the place where we get discipled. It's where we get pastored. It's where we sit under anointed teaching, preaching, and worship. It's where we grow in our faith. You know, I was thinking about this last night. I'm a big college football fan, and I, I watch college football every Saturday, and you know, all this coaching carousel and all this stuff that goes on in college football. And I was thinking, you know, being a pastor, is, I don't know if it's the hardest job in the world, but it's definitely a hard job. And the reason it's hard is because, for me anyway, most of the people I minister to are adults. But you may, you may be a five-year-old in your faith, But you think you're a 50 year old. And because of that, you're an adult and you can do what you want to. The comparison to that would be a coach who has an expectation of a national championship, but his players never show up for practice. I want to win a trophy, but I don't want to come to practice. So how do we disciple you if you don't come? How are you supposed to grow into that 50-year-old believer in your faith if you never show up? So it's where you grow. It's where you get disciplined. It's, it's where, where correction comes. And you learn the Bible. And, and never be ashamed of what you don't know. What you don't know, you don't know. And you need good, biblical, solid teaching to learn to grow. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Number two, you have to believe in your heart and practice the true gospel. Number three, let me say that again for note takers because I hate it when I do that. You have to believe in your heart and practice the true gospel is number two. And number three, repentance. There is no true salvation without true repentance. I've heard people say in church, I've heard pastors say in an altar call, all you have to do is believe in your heart. Well, Even Satan and the demons believe. Are they saved? No. It's repentance and practicing repentance. It's confession, saying, God, I messed up. God, I I goofed it up. God, I made a mess of things. Amen. Salvation requires three things, and I'm almost done. Salvation requires three things. A change of mind a change of direction, and a change of lifestyle. Let me say that again. Salvation requires, if you're saved, it'll be a change of mind, a change of direction, and a change of lifestyle. Repentance means you make a U-turn. I've heard people say, you do a 360. Well, if you do a 360, you'll end up right back where you were. (laughs) The idea is to do a 180. Does that make sense? Here's the fourth one under .5. You have to confess with your mouth. Confession does not mean list all of your sins, past and present. We couldn't remember them all in most cases anyway. If that were the case, none of us would be saved. I mean, I can't go back to the time I was a child and remember every time I sinned. Right? I mean, I have a, we have an almost one-year-old grandson, and you know, we were at a restaurant the other day with him, and his mom told him no, and he threw a fit. And she said, don't put your mouth on that high chair. And he looked at her and went... He's not even one. <laughs> Why? There's a sin nature that's born into us. Amen. <laughs> so we couldn't remember all the sins that we've done. Confess in the Greek is not confessional. It's not going into a confessional and confessing to a man. No, it's confessing to God. Confess in the Greek means not a confessional or a list. Confession in the original Greek means a vocal agreement with the covenant of God. True confession is verbally agreeing with what God said. These are the five re- of many reasons why people lack assurance of their salvation. Would you stand with me in this room? and Could we play some music from the sound booth real softly? If that is available, I don't know. You got it? Okay. So we're in this room today, and I, I want us to do some soul-searching, and online, if you're watching online, we want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus today. And today is a pivotal moment for you. Today I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to show you a bridge between eternity and earth. I don't want to close this service ever, I don't want to close any service without giving an opportunity to receive the assurance of salvation that you can really know this word and you can really be assured that if I died tonight I'd go to heaven and you need to know that and if you can't answer that question, we need to do business today. We need to do business. To receive the assurance of salvation, what is the gospel? give it to you real quick. Here's what the gospel is. God is holy and man is sinful. And in our sinfulness, it separates us from a holy God. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Real life is not here. I know you think it is and I don't want to run a good week because this is going to be a fun week for all of us. It's a good holiday week. But this is not life. It's not life. There's something called eternal life and it's forever. You can't take it back. There's no do-overs when you get there. It's eternal, it's forever. God doesn't want you to perish. Perish in the original Greek means face judgment for unrepented sin. If you don't repent of sin and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior according to the Bible you will encounter the wrath of God when you die but I want you to know this hell was never meant for humans hell was meant for Satan and his demons they're called fallen angels God never invented hell for human beings it's the sin of men that cause you to go to hell an unrepented sin 2nd Peter 3 9 God is not wanting any to perish John 3 16 that none should perish but you have to make a choice to hear the gospel you believe in your heart you repent of your sins and you confess with your mouth and you make a verbal agreement with the truth of God's son Jesus Christ no matter where you're at today there's no judgment today the Bible says is the day of salvation today is the day that we give our life to the lord in this moment is when we give our life to him we don't put it off we don't wait till this afternoon i heard someone say the other day someone i know say this and i thought man that's you know just profound to think that people think this way but uh, had a man i know was witnessing to another man and he said man have you given your life to jesus have you of sin and confess the Lord as your Savior? And are you saved? Are you born again? Are you on your way to heaven? And the man said, no, but he said, I'm excited to tell you that on my birthday in a few months, I'm going to give my life to Jesus on my birthday because, and he said, well, why do you want to wait? He said, because I want my spiritual birthday and my physical birthday to be on the same day. And you can guess what the man told him. He said, well, that's all wonderful and that's romantic and great and, you know, it sounds good in theory. But he said, what if you die tonight? Why would you put off making that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around this room. Online, if you're listening to us and you can hear the sound of my voice, And you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today it would be my honor to introduce you to him. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. And pray a simple prayer of salvation. It really is that simple. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you make him the Lord of your life. If you're watching online, let us know that you made that commitment. We would love to hear from you. We want to know that you made that commitment. And so now I want to talk to the people in this room, nobody looking around, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, and today you want to make him Lord, that's the first invitation for today. The second invitation that I want to give is, maybe you've given your life to the Lord in a private moment, but you've never made a public statement of faith. You've never walked an aisle like right here in front of me, and you've never given your life to Jesus as far as a public statement of faith. Maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but you've not made that public statement in front of your fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. The third invitation that I give today is this. If you've never been baptized in water and you never stood in front of a congregation and went down in that water or buried with Christ and raised to new life, then today we need to make that decision. Today is the day, and we need to make that happen right now. If you fit any of those three invitations, would you just join me right here? I just want to pray for you. Would you be bold enough to step out and say, I want to give my life to the Lord? Any of those three invitations, would you come? Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yarbrough and One Community Church of El Dorado.